Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. tired of it yet, are you? He is risen. Amen. When I attended uh, college, the university was overcrowded. Now, it wasn't overcrowded because I attended, but I did, <laughs> I did contribute to the problem, and so they uh, were putting a lot of students in, in dorm rooms that uh, were designed for less. I, I was assigned to a room that uh, had been built as a single room, and so there were three of us uh, in that room, and we got to know each other uh, fairly well. Uh, one of my roommates was uh, uh, Greek Orthodox by background. Uh, sadly, he had given in to the culture of the day, and uh, for him, marijuana was a gateway into frying his brain, and a brilliant student, and by his uh, junior year, he could not put together a coherent paragraph. Uh, the other roommate, my other roommate was Gary, and he uh, was Jewish. And uh, we had some interesting discussions along the way. But at one point, he asked if he could borrow a New Testament. Uh, so I gave him a copy of uh, Good News for Modern Man. It's a, it's a contemporary translation, not, perhaps not the best translation, but it, it sometimes serves the purpose for people who are not acquainted with biblical uh, uh, thought patterns and, and grammar structures and things like that. So I gave him a copy of Good News for Modern Man because he wanted to read the New Testament. He, he had the Old Testament thing down pretty good, but he wanted to read the New Testament. So I gave him a copy, and uh, he started reading through it, and naturally he started at the beginning, and he was reading through uh, the Gospels. And I can still see what happened um, as he came to the story of the resurrection. I didn't know that's where he was. Uh, I was sitting on uh, the bed, and uh, he was across the room at his uh, desk. And as he was reading along, suddenly he closed the book, and he just put it down on his desk. He turned to me, and he said, Wayne, this cannot be true. I well, why not, Gary? He said, this says that women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. I said, that, that's right. Gary said to me, no self-respecting Jew would accept the testimony of a woman. Now, we look back on that, and we see the impropriety of it, and uh, we, we see the... Um, the, the categorization of, of, of an entire gender is somewhat misplaced. But you know, he was right. He was right at that time, back in the last century. And uh, he was also right about the days of Christ. No self-respecting Jew would accept the testimony of a woman. Now here's the thing. When Gary said that to me, I realized it must be true because you wouldn't make this up. 
If you were making up the story of the resurrection, if you had this, this, this story of Jesus, the great um, uh, teacher, the teller of parables, the guy who patted children on the head and made people feel better about themselves, and he had died, and you wanted to say he had come back to life, and you were just making up the story, you wouldn't have someone like Mary Magdalene as the witness to the resurrection. You would choose somebody like Peter. You would have Peter run to the, to the, uh, to the, uh, the tomb and, and find it empty, and he would come back proclaiming, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, because Peter, after all, had such a, a, a magnetism of drawing the common man to him, fisherman that he was. Or you might have someone of authority, someone like maybe Nicodemus, a, a ruler of, of, the, uh, of the religious folks there in, in Jerusalem. You'd have Nicodemus go, and with the authority of his station, he would come back and say, I know that he is alive. You would choose somebody of that stature. You would choose someone that people respected, but you would not choose Mary Magdalene. You would not choose him, choose her. Even the very name Magdalene has come into the English language as a pejorative term. Unfairly, by the way. But you would not choose this Mary of Magdala. You would not choose her because she was not only a minor player, so minor that the only thing we know about her is that she saw Jesus at the empty tomb and that she was a follower of Christ, out of whom seven demons had been driven out. We, we read that in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. And that's all we know about her. You would not have chosen Mary of Magdala. You, have not, you would not have chosen her because she was the kind of person who had lived a life of confusion and defeat. She was the kind of person who had lived a life that no one else wanted to live themselves. She was not an attractive person in her living. She had seven demons, Luke chapter 8 tells us. She had seven demons. One is enough. She had seven. We don't know what their names were. The names may have been depression, despondency, despair, sadness, grief, confusion, doubt, weakness. We don't know who these demons were, but we can be sure that they were destroying her life. When Jesus went to Gadara and there he found a demoniac in the uh, graveyard there, who was just a wild man and could not be kept under control. And Jesus said, you know, what, what is your name? He said, Legion, there's a legion of us demons in here. No doubt the same kind of affliction besetting Mary of Magdala. We don't know what happened. We don't know if she, like the woman with the issue of blood, pushed her way through the crowd that she might just reach out and touch the hem of the garment of Jesus as he walked by. We don't know if she came and knelt before him as, as the centurion did and pleaded for healing as he had pleaded for the life of his child. We do not know if she was wandering the streets, some wild, crazy-eyed woman that people tried to keep at arm's distance and hearing about Jesus cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. We don't know what the circumstance was, but we do know this, that one day in the confusion, in the confliction of her mind, in her heart torn about, uh, apart by these demons wrestling within her, we do know that the day came when she met Jesus. 
We don't know what he said. But the power of his words drove those demons out, and she was made whole. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I don't know if you know what it's like to be in the grip, the demonic grip that is tearing your life up. I don't know if you know what it's like to have your life so controlled by, by anger issues and resentment issues, have your life so controlled by, by the, the feelings and the emotions of, of alienation from others around you. I don't know if you, if you are aware of, of what it is like to have your life out of control because things just come up and ambush you and suddenly before you know it, you're reacting in, in an inappropriate way to life. I don't know if your life has ever been out of control like that. But if it has, and you met Jesus, you know what it's like when he takes it away. You know what it's like when he lifts you up out of the dirt, stands you on your feet, and for the first time in your life, you're human again. I don't know if you know what it's like to hate somebody so badly that it's tearing you up on the inside. And you know it's tearing you up on the inside. But you can't stop it. You can't change it. And one day Jesus comes to you and he washes your feet. And your life is never the same again. I don't know if you know what it's like to encounter Jesus the way Mary of Magdala did and have the demons driven out. Maybe your life is on top of the world. Maybe you're, you're going great guns. Maybe you don't have any problems. Maybe you, you have the perfect relationships and you, you, your children are perfect, your dog is perfect, your cat is perfect. Even the parakeet is perfect. I don't know why I'm just thinking this. If you had an amoeba in the house, it would be perfect. But I can tell you this, the day is coming when the demons will assault. And the problems will come and the... And the anguish will come, and you'll need Jesus then. We don't know what happened to Mary except this. Jesus drove seven demons out of her, and she was made whole. And for the first time in her life, she was human again. And the scripture says there in, in, in Luke chapter 8, says that she was a follower of Jesus. It's a, it, it, Luke chapter 8 says that there were a number of women who were followers of Jesus. They were supporting Jesus out of their means. That meant that they were uh, supplying the funds. They were taking care of the logistics. They were doing all those things that have to be done behind the scenes so that ministry could go on. In other words, they were the first WMU trying to keep the disciples straight. And she was a part of that, and so she traveled with Jesus. She traveled with him to Jerusalem. She saw the triumphal entry. She saw the palms waving. She knew that this was the moment her Jesus was being acclaimed Messiah. This was the moment her Jesus was ushering in the kingdom. Her Jesus would now be recognized for who he really is. He would be put upon a throne, and others would hail him as king. And over the course of that week, she saw... This man, Jesus, who had changed her life, she saw him taken and put up not on a throne but on a cross, and there above his head, king of the Jews. And while the other disciples ran 
to an undisclosed location and hid in fear. She watched as her Jesus died. She saw the body taken down. She saw him taken to a grave where no one had, had ever been lain before. And she saw him put in the grave. She marked the, the spot in her mind, she with the other women, and the big stone was rolled across the entryway, barring all access. No one could get in. No one could ever get out. She saw that. And her heart broken. The sadness and the grief so deep on that Friday continued through the silent, sullen darkness of Saturday. All day long, knowing he was dead. The men would not come to the tomb, but the women would. And so they gathered spices, and they gathered perfumes. They gathered what they could to come to anoint the body should have been done before he was put in the tomb, but things were too rushed. It, it couldn't be done then, but now perhaps they could make up for that. And so they, they, they went to the tomb. They carried the spices, talking amongst themselves. Who will roll away that stone? We don't know how we're going to get in to take care of, of, our, of, 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 of Jesus. We don't know how we're going to do that. They got to the tomb, and the stone was rolled away. And immediately they started doing what everybody else would do. They started thinking, there must be an explanation for this that we can understand. It must be that someone rolled away this, the tomb. Someone has, has opened it up that they might do something in there. They, they looked inside. No body. There was no body of Jesus there in the tomb. But there were angels. Why are you looking for Jesus? Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Look at the empty place where they laid him. They didn't understand it, but the women, they, they, they hightailed it to tell the disciples, you know, he's risen. The disciples obviously started doing exactly what you and I would do. Well, that's nice poetry. Um, that, that's a nice thought. Um, it, I, I understand it's as if he's risen. You just, you just feel the presence of Jesus, though we know he's dead. And they, they started to rationalize the whole thing. But, but Mary came to, uh, uh, to Peter and to John, and she says, look, look they've stolen the body. See, she had an explanation. They've stolen the body. They've taken the body. They've taken him. I don't know where they've taken him. Peter, John decide, we've got to go take care of this. They run to the tomb. They see for themselves. They go back home. But Mary is left at the tomb. She's left there at the tomb. And the Bible says she was standing there weeping, weeping. What else would you do? What else would you do? Not only is he gone, you can't even honor him. They've taken him away. And as she was weeping, she looked inside the tomb. You know how you do? You're looking for something, and you've already looked a hundred times, but you look again. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I didn't look in the right spot. I can't believe it. Surely we were mistaken. Maybe the shadows and the lighting was bad. She looks back in the tomb again. Two angels at either end where Jesus had been, one at the head, one at the feet. 
And they said, woman, why are you weeping? Why? Jesus, who is the hope of my life, is gone. Jesus, who had restored me, is gone. See, Mary knew something. She knew something. She knew that if Jesus was really dead, his whole life had been a lie. Oh, yeah, when, when Jesus talked about, well, your Father in heaven will take care of you, that's true. Uh, when, he, when he talked about, you know, God judges the heart, that's true. When Jesus said, don't be downcast, you, you know, just have faith and trust in God, that was all true. But he had also said that the Son of Man would be lifted up and crucified and then would rise again. But now he was dead. And the promise of everlasting life, a lie. The promise of hope eternal, a lie. The promise of a place in heaven, a lie. And if that was a lie, then the rest of it was a lie as well. She knew that if Jesus were dead, you and I are the most to be pitied because we get up and we come to church and we sing our songs and we read our Bible and we have given our lives to the proclamation of Christ and ordered our lives according to the teaching of Christ and he's nothing but a dead man. We are most to be pitied. We have wasted a life that could only be wasted. And we were deluded enough to think it had meaning and purpose. Jesus is dead. It's all a lie. I can't wait. I'm sorry. This comes later in the sermon. But he is alive. He is alive forevermore. This Jesus that they laid in the grave came out of the grave. This same Jesus that was crucified on the cross is the same Jesus who walked out of the tomb. This same Jesus that they thought that they, they could put an end to him and his influence and just throw him in the dustbins of history, this Jesus is alive and reigning from on high. He is now King of kings. He is now the Lord of lords. And one day we will all join with the entirety of creation to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This Jesus is alive. Mary peeping into the tomb, crying, weeping. The angels try to, try to re, reshape her thinking. You, you won't have it. And so as, as she's been in the tomb looking, she, she backs out and she's looking towards the doorway and she sees a silhouette of a man. Her eyes, having become accustomed to the darkness, can't quite take the backlighting. Just a silhouette. She can't recognize who it is. That's happening to me more and more lately. Not because of the sun, because of the eyes. I see people down the hallway. Happened this morning. Somebody was, was coming down the hall. Hey, pastor, how are you? I said, hey, you, how are you? <laughs> she looks and she sees the silhouette. And again, she rationalizes that. There's got to be an explanation for that. I know who this is. This has got to be the gardener. This has got to be the caretaker. Surely he'll know who came in and rolled the stone, took the body. And, he says, you know, woman, why are you weeping? Whom, whom are you seeking? He says, sir, they, they've taken the body of Jesus, 
and I don't know where they put him. Tell me where he is. I'll take care of it. I'll take it. The last loving thing she could do. Jesus said to her, Mary. How often she had heard that voice, but the first time she heard that voice was when he was casting the demons out of her life. You know, you don't forget things like that. You know, it's not like seven demons are cast out of your life, and two days later you're saying, now who was that guy who cast the demons out? I, I, I sort of remember, he, he, I think he was Jewish. Um, anybody know? You, I, I tell you, if you've got a picture of him, I'll recognize him, but you know, who, was, who was this guy? What was his name? No, you never forget that. You never forget the lilt of his voice, the timbre of the sound of his speaking. And with one word, Jesus turned her life around again. Mary. The good shepherd calling his sheep by name. The good shepherd penetrating through the darkness and the sadness and the tears to a place that goes beyond the mind and into the heart and the soul. Mary. She saw who it was. And she turned, and she says, Rabboni, that's Aramaic. Look, if you're making this stuff, you don't use Aramaic words, you know. You, you use, you, you say something like, my Lord and my God, you know. You, you make up stuff like, like that. But if you're reporting the facts of history, you report what Mary would have said, Rabboni, which in Aramaic means teacher. Actually, it's a, it's a form of Rabboni, a, a form of rabbi that means my dear teacher. It goes right to this, this loving relationship that she had had with Jesus as she listened to him teach and her life was transformed by the power of his word. Rabboni, Jesus. And it all, it all came together for her at that moment. You see, the joy of the resurrection is given to ordinary people. It's not given just to some theologians, some philosophers. It's not just reserved for some who have, you know, technical abilities and, and apologetics. The joy of the resurrection is given to ordinary people. And here's why that's good news. You folks in this room are about as ordinary as they come. <laughs> because we're all ordinary. We come to, to Christ as sinners. We come to Christ as those whose lives are broken. We come to Christ as those who are, who are hurting and wounded and grieving. We come to Christ just possessed by the things of life and conflicted and ambushed by the things of life, and we don't know how we're going to survive. And in that moment, Jesus calls us by name. He called Saul of Tarsus by name. He called Mary of Magdala by name. And the wonder of it all is that he called Wayne of Waldorf by name. Rabboni, teacher, you're alive. It's true. Everything you said is true. And life has never been the same 
again. Oh, the joy of salvation is given to ordinary people. It's given to people who are sad and suffering. It's given to people who are wounded. It's given to people who are doubting and confused. It is given to people in the deepest parts of the, of the need of their lives. The joy of salvation, the joy of the, re of the resurrection. And the joy of the resurrection is given to people with a purpose. If you have your text, it's right in front of you. In, in verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Um, that's the ESV translation. If you had King James, it would be something like, do not touch me. But the Greek word, apto, um, it does not mean to, to sort of touch. It means to, to grab onto. It doesn't mean, let, let me find out if you're real. You know, no, no, don't touch me. You know? No, it means to, to grab onto him. The picture here is that she, she falls at his feet like so many, and she grabs him, and she hugs him, and she adores him with that fervor and that passion that only those whose lives have been restored by the power of Christ can understand. Jesus said, don't cling to me. We can't stay here all day, Mary. You know, we've got things to do. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. I've got, I've got a crash course in Bible and theology uh, for the disciples. I've got, to, I've got to show them where I am in the Old Testament and how to preach me. There's, we've got a lot of things to do. So, Mary, we can't just stay here. I know you'd like to, but, but look, I've got a purpose for you. Go and tell the disciples. What does he say? Go tell them. What? Go to my brothers. Say to them. Oh, by the way, that word brothers. Go tell my brothers, who, by the way, cut and ran. Go tell my brothers, who, by the way, can't be found. Go tell my brothers, who, by the way, never quite understood what I was about at all. But they're my brothers. And I'm not ashamed to call them my brothers. See the difference the resurrection makes? He says, go tell my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your father says I'm going to to my father in heaven you've heard me talk about him so many times go tell my disciples this good news because of the empty tomb because of the resurrection he is their father too we're brought into this great family of God by the grace showered upon us in Jesus Christ go tell them that I'm going to my father and your father and to my God and to your God Jesus gave them a purpose and it was simply this tell them I'm risen tell them I am risen so what happens earliest Christians you know how they greeted each other you know how they you know, you know how they do that Dave how are you he's risen he's risen indeed amen Bert he's risen he's risen indeed People of God, he's risen. He's risen indeed. That's how you greeted each other. I mean, you didn't go greet each other. There's a philosophy of life that will give you satisfaction. There's a philosophy indeed. <laughs> There's a nice Bible story. It's mythological, but it makes us feel better our, uh, about ourselves. I feel better already indeed. No! He is risen! See, that's the mission. That's the purpose, to proclaim that he is risen indeed.
that our Lord Jesus ascended on high is coming again. And when he returns, every eye will see him, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. This risen Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so she went. Mary Magdala, this Mary Magdala. Minor character in the Bible, except she bore witness to Jesus. She went and she said, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And that was her testimony. The joy of the resurrection is given to those who see him. You know, a little while later, um, the, uh, that evening, the, the disciples, uh, uh, 10 of them would be in, the, uh, uh, in, in a shuttered room, the doors locked, the windows closed. And as they're there, Jesus appears in their midst. You remember this? And uh, essentially, he says, look, here I am, guys. Look at the scars. Whole sermon in the rich wounds yet visible above. But he says, look at the scars. And uh, um, they saw there's Jesus. Thomas hadn't been there. He'd, he'd gone out to get something, I guess. He comes back in. They said, we, we've seen the Lord. We, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas says, I love him too much to be fooled like that. He means too much to me to just jump at this. I've got to see him myself. I have to see his hands. I have to see his side. A week later, um, the, the disciples are gathered, and Thomas is there with them this time, and Jesus walks into the room, and, and, and he's in the midst of them, and he says, Thomas, look, look, Tom, look, look at my hands. Look at my side. Thomas falls to his knees. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, you believe in me because you've seen me. How blessed are those who believe who have not seen me. Jesus was thinking of you. He was thinking of you that moment. And the joy of the resurrection is ours. We have not seen him, not in the flesh. We have not seen him the way the disciples have. We didn't see him the way Mary of Magdala did. But the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see Jesus high, exalted, lifted up, and risen. And that's our joy. That's the joy of the resurrection for us. And it is joy because he is risen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for looking past our sin to see the glory of what your grace could do for us. Thank you, Father, for not confining us to the narrowness of our understanding, but giving us truth beyond our comprehension that yet molds and shapes our lives. Thank you, Father, for never giving up on us, even though time and time again we gave up on you. Thank you, Father, for the empty tomb. Thank you that Jesus is risen from the grave. And thank you that we now live by the power of that resurrection through your Holy Spirit. Father, for those in this room, I pray for an outpouring of grace to bring every heart, every life, to love him, to adore him. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.